0: The first time I talked to Matt Lovitz, I was shocked when he told me the level of production that he achieves in his role. And that's when I knew I had to have him on. We were having a great conversation about some of the best practices related to sales, related to finding centers of influence, related to onboarding new clients. And I thought everyone could benefit from listening in on this conversation. So that's just what we did. If you listen through to the end on this, you're going to really enjoy some of the things Matt has to share about how to be more efficient, how to manage your time, how to make sure you're getting something out of every interaction with your prospects and clients. Just a tremendous interview with a great guy. I hope that you enjoy it. If you do, please make sure that you give us a five-star rating on your podcast player of choice and make sure to share this with a friend. We really appreciate it. Our audience continues to grow and we know that's because of you. Thanks so much for listening and enjoy the show. Welcome to Payrollin, the show where you will learn how to operate and grow your payroll business from the most dynamic minds in the business. If your company offers payroll services, this is the podcast for you. And now, here's your host, Matt Vady. Let's go. Are you tired of dealing with payroll? Would you just like to finally get out of this industry and start focusing on what you actually do best? Whether you're a CPA, healthcare broker, whatever your core discipline is, you started offering payroll services because you thought it would be a great value add. And then you quickly realized, well, this is consuming way more time for not enough money than I originally thought. Did you know that we are actively acquiring? Payroll Books of Business. We would love to work with you to identify if we can help you to partner with the right group that makes sense for an exit for you, but creates consistency in how you continue to treat your clients. If you're interested in learning more about Guru's acquisition services, simply go to guru.co forward slash acquisitions. That's G-U-H-R-O-O dot C-O forward slash acquisitions. Welcome. Uh, Appreciate your time. Let's talk about sales efficiency to get started. When you told me the output that you're creating over there for your team and what you're able to do in a year, I was, first of all, amazed and impressed. And second of all, I said, man, this guy has to be a master of efficiency to manage that pipeline, to manage the deals coming in, to manage the new potential clients that he's working with. Talk to us about how you manage your time and how you manage those aspects of your workplace.
1: Yeah, you bet. I wouldn't say a master at anything yet either, Matt. I think it's becoming the master of trying to be more humble and know that it can always get better incrementally. But yeah, from an efficiency standpoint, I think it goes back to doing digital before it was cool, right? I started my career in HCM about a decade ago with a little company called Oracle. You know, on the inside team of Oracle, you don't get to travel, right? I mean, you're talking, uh, you're talking to the C-level suite of companies that are in the Fortune 500, the Fortune 100, and you're doing so over the phone without ever having an opportunity to meet with them face-to-face. So mm. doing that kind of got me set up to be able to execute and do things over the phone, even pre-pandemic. Now, don't get me wrong, doing things in person certainly has a lot of advantages. It brings that local, you know, that local feel, the local flavor, but you know, do you really need to do the second, third, fourth, fifth, how many ever meetings you're having in person? Or can we just skip that? Know that we all met each other. We've shook each other's hands. We looked each other in the eye and just go with a a virtual meeting for the rest of it. So that adds an element of efficiency, right? We look at one of the benefits of the pandemic for sales teams out there and it's look at how much time was spent, windshield time, right? You know, lost time driving. So I think doing things in a little bit different of a way that way and Really trying to maximize the time you have being productive has, has helped a ton.
0: Yeah, that's great. That's a really good point. We just managed one of these processes in here internally recently where we engaged with them online then over the phone then over zoom and kind of added the cherry on top like oh hey by the way we're right here in town if you'd like for us to come out for a meeting at some point and even though they're going to see the value of a local provider yeah they know that without us necessarily having to go set foot in their office every every time too so that's a really good point tell me how big of a patch of dirt do you manage right now like how wide is your territory
1: That's pretty good size. It's from North Metro, Minneapolis, St. Paul area on up to Canada. And then I manage quite a few different national and international COI type relationships as well. So, I mean, you look at that patch of dirt's the globe, but we have to focus on the area that we can control the most and that's going to be most impactful. So I would say central to northern Minnesota. The outskirt underlying communities that are often underserved outside of the big metro areas, I love to spend my time in. So,
0: Yeah, and that's interesting. So we've got a lot of folks listening to this that I'm sure own small local or regional payroll companies or are in sales in situations like that. And so often we get caught up in the fact, I remember when we first started, we were like, oh, we can sell to anybody anywhere in the country. This is amazing. Mm-hmm. Like, Don't put it on our website that we're a South Carolina based company. We don't want to scare off that company in North Carolina or Tennessee or wherever. Whereas in reality, actually more focused we are, the higher we saw our numbers improve once we said, okay, hey, look, let's just purely focus on South Carolina for the time being. And then we'll start to expand after we feel like we've got a foothold here. So it's interesting to hear you talk about the girth of the territory there, but you talked about something interestingly, though, that came up in our first conversation we ever had. You use the term COI. What does COI stand for?
1: Yeah, it's it's center of influence or a referral partner, you know, right. somebody who's able to hopefully spread the good wealth and knowledge of what you have to offer.
0: And I know you've done a great job of cultivating a network of COIs and of referral partners. Talk to us about that process and kind of what you're looking for and how you're developing those relationships, how you're keeping them where you're able to provide value which is also a big part of this. I think where a lot of people fail is they are, it's a very one sided attempt at a relationship where they're coming by, you know, the old ADP rep knocking on your door once a week saying, you got any leads for me. You know, (laughs) you've got to be able to provide value from your side of the relationship. So how do you do that? And how are you cultivating those relationships?
1: Yeah, I think it's a give to get, you know, If, if you've read the book, I mean, it's a very simple, quick, tiny read takes a couple hours The give to get mentality of it's not what's in it for you. It's how, you know, what's in it for other people. How can you provide that value. So if I want to find a new, let's just call it an insurance company or a benefits broker, whoever might be in a position to hopefully reach the masses for you, can I come to them with not only proposition, but can I bring them a lead day one? Not necessarily give it to them first, but see the interest, see what's going on. And then within that first day, the first 48 hours for sure, I try to give them a lead and know that at least half of the time it's never gonna come back. That's okay, it's all right. I gave them a lead, now if I'm gonna give them a lead I wanna know that they're gonna do right, obviously by my prospect or client, but we just need to ask more questions in that sales process of filling in the gaps of who does your benefits or who does your insurance or who is your bank or getting some of those just tiny quick questions out of the way or building them into the discovery process. Is going to open up the doors to be able to provide a lot more referrals outbound and weird the more you give the more ultimately comes back your way in the form of getting so you know i try to limit it to a couple you know let's say banks for instance i have a relationship with you know a dozen banks in town will i refer all of them i'm not going to say who no i'm not going to because i have a very good I have a bank that's right for the right size customer that's maybe grown out of the small bank. And then I have that bank that maybe is able to take a square and fit it into a round hole, you know, from a lending standpoint. So I think giving to get, but then having as many of those COI or referral partner relationships as you can possibly get. I look at what I do now and being in this role with Burton KDB for about five and a half years, I probably get three quarters of my business now via referrals and that's referrals from external partners. That's referral from internal people. Don't forget about your payroll processors, your support team. You know, those people are a goldmine for referrals if you coach them on what to look for, what to listen for. So I think that's been just super beneficial. And then your clients, right? I'm trying to talk to somebody that's been with us for a year or two years, and I'm talking to them about client sat first and foremost, are they happy? Well, if they're happy, that's awesome, right? That's your, ooh, I got a golden ticket right there, right? If they're happy, then what am I going to do? Well, first, I'm going to try and and help them by providing them value via an upsell opportunity. You know, let's take advantage of another module or another service or things like that. If that's not going to work, I'm going to ask who else in their network would be good for us to work with, right, from a referral standpoint. But how do you make that referral about them? Not about you, right? It's so it's said a little differently. It's said in the way of, you know, in order to continue to keep providing great service like we're doing and all this emerging technology like we're doing for you, we need more happy customers to be able to keep prices low, things like that. You know, who else do you think that you interact with that we could we could talk to? And then if all else fails, which oftentimes it does, get a testimonial. What if they're happy? Are they going to say no to saying, yeah, we'd love to do a testimonial or we'd love to be a reference for you. I think that is missed opportunity 80% of the time on the one ask, but what about the three ask? By getting those pieces in place, you know, it ties back to sales efficiency. I need a reference. Guess what? I got a whole Rolodex of references by industry, by employee count, by module. They're ready to go. You know, so some things like that, I think are super helpful. And then again, the give to get, you got to come in swinging with a referral form if you want them to take you seriously. And then the best referral partners your meeting with once a month, even if it's 30 minutes virtually or for a cup of coffee, it's to keep each other top of mind. If I have a meeting coming up next Tuesday with one of my best benefit broker referral partners. For sure, Monday, the day before, at worst case scenario, I'm re-looking through that, who they want to get in touch with. I'm like, crap, I got to find them a lead. I got to give them a nugget of information or a piece of value that's going to help.
0: Oh, yeah. So much great stuff in there. I'm going to start with that give to get. We have, a you know, there's the old school mentality of ABC, always be closing. We flipped it. We say ABV, always be valuable. So that's that mindset like you're talking about. If I'm preparing I'm for a meeting... Oh, please do. I hope everybody steals it and I hope everybody lives it. Right. Because as you talked about, like if I'm preparing for a meeting the day before and my mindset is more, what can I give this person that's going to make it a valuable use of their time? That's going to help them to grow their book of business. You know, if it's a first meeting with a new prospect it's saying, what would make them want to pay for this meeting when they're done with me? Right. Like, did they view this as a strategic consult from somebody who's a trusted advisor or do they view it as a sales call where I say, how many employees do you have? You weekly or bi-weekly? You this, you And going through my checklist that my corporate overlords have given me. But, but you, you hit on some other awesome things in there, right? And I want everybody to make sure you listen closely on that. And that is the three things that Matt is getting out of every client interaction when he goes and visits them, either a referral, a testimonial, or an upsell opportunity. Those are all simple things on a client interaction. And that is, I mean, how much easier is that than going out and prospecting new prospects every day when all of us have a book of business that we can go out to, whether it's 10 clients or 10,000 clients, there's opportunities that abound there and more connections to be made. So now let me ask you another question going back here. So you're out in the field, you're doing that with a client. Let's talk about that efficiency. You guys use a CRM? Or are you pumping that into some sort of a system while you're out there? Or are you an old school you note know, taker? We do What's use
1: your- a CRM, but I, like many sales professionals, am guilty about not putting everything in there. So well, um, yeah, that's, Zoho, that's part of happen. that constant improvement of, I could be better at it. You know, oftentimes it's the deal is, is put in there once it closes, because um, that's how I'm compensated, but... Yeah, it is a work in progress, but the CRM does get used, just probably not as much as it could. I think from the ABV that you brought up, you know, always bring value too. I look at the buyer's journey, right? You're talking to a prospect and they have a need, they have a pain point, an issue, a challenge that you can solve. How do you make that as painless for them as possible? How can you be their easy button, right? If I'm a 50 person, 100 person company and I'm looking at three, four, five providers, I have better things to do in my day than to do a discovery, a demo, a pricing, an analysis, another Q&A with every single one of them. So I try to put myself in their shoes of and call it out on that first meeting. Hey, look, I know this is probably not the favorite part of your job. I'm here to be your easy button. What can I do to make this simple for you in the process? And What a lot of people don't maybe get or they get stuck in their processes is they feel they have to do a discovery and then maybe another discovery and then a demo and then maybe a second demo and then a pricing and all of a sudden we're five meetings deep you know six seven eight hours externally not to mention any travel time or internal prep for these meetings what if you have three four more people on them then we're now we're doubling tripling quadrupling this time input to that one prospect not that they're not worth it but what if we flipped that script a little bit and said you know what I know I have a discovery I know if that discovery goes well the next step's going to be a demo. And if that demo goes well, what are they going to ask for? Numbers. So who's to say that I can't maybe try to get a little bit more time and have the nice screen up and be showing them a demonstration without them really planning for it while I'm doing the discovery, you know, Hey, talk to me about how you're doing your accruals right now. And I'll know, I'll I'll know a little bit, you know, maybe they're manual. So you're not doing it like this. And so we're just having a very interactive kind of free flow, really talking through the discovery items as they're being shown. And then oftentimes if it goes really well, and again, they're incented to keep this short and not have an elongated process either. They got a bunch more people to look at, you know, Hey, we're at that hour mark that we we promised. You had another 15 minutes. I'd be happy to go over the investment or, Hey, I bet you're wondering what this costs. Should we go over the investment now or plan a second meeting? I know how many people they have. We're all priced in a world of per employee, per payroll, per employee, per month. There's no reason you can't have that investment ready to go before that initial meeting in anticipation that it's going to go well.
0: When do you typically share numbers?
1: I try to avoid sharing numbers until we've at least had a really good discussion or they've seen the solution. But Again, the buyer's journey is not always our journey or our preferred sales process, right? So, perfect example would be today. There's a large organization that is looking for a new provider, leaving a three-letter company that starts with A, and they're looking at five, six, seven providers. So they want a very short questionnaire, fifteen questions. Can you do this, 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 and then give us your pricing? Not really ideal, <laughs> I'll be honest with you, from a value. So it's a Hey, quick answering your question. Yes, 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 yes. I need some more clarity. Do I really maybe need clarity? Probably should. And then that gets me the opportunity to talk to them. And now I talk to them, I build a little rapport. I get an understanding of what's important in their process, who's involved, and then say, gosh, why do you want numbers right up front? And they're like, well, something's way out of the ordinary or something's this, you know, we want to narrow it down from seven to or, you know, with numbers, and then we'll go deep into the process. Perfect. So then I'm going to, you know, today we're doing, instead of just emailing, that's the other thing, quit emailing proposals, people. You can't ask an email questions and get an immediate answer. You can't clarify something on an email and so much is left to interpretation. So today we're going to spend 30 minutes and we're going to walk through the investments. Not the pricing, not the cost, the investment of the HCM solution with them so they understand it so that when they're taking it to their committee of six, eight, 10 people, they can effectively articulate what it is that the investment is and why.
0: Great subtle nuance there with the investment versus the fees versus the cost, right? That's mm-hmm. such a subtle nuance in how we speak and how we articulate the difference between us and others. And for you ADP reps listening, I know you're out there. I've interacted with some of you. This is nothing personal with you. I was at ADP for six years, love the place, great people, great time there, but yes, you are now the enemy and we are going to steal all your clients. And so <laughs> you're going to get some of the uh, you know nuance of how we wanna do that here from these conversations. And hopefully you'll pick up some things that will provide you with value when you're out there selling against us. But once they process those two payrolls and you cash your commission check, you don't really care anyway. So just let us take the deals back. It's fine, y'all. It's fine. Just chill out. Okay. All right. So let's go back to, you touched on something that that I run into a lot with the smaller practices, especially, especially those that don't have sales backgrounds like you or I, is that they don't really have a sales process, right? They just kind of sit down, they have a meeting with somebody, they bring pricing, maybe they're asked to demo, then they do a demo that's just atrocious where they're doing a harbor tour of every feature bell and whistle of the whole system. They don't have a, a slide deck that's going through what this is going to mean, what it does, and then what it is, you know, they kind of got it all backwards. They're just showing what it is and then the pricing, and then they're moving on with their day. Um, so, so first and foremost, let me just say this, you've got to have a sales process. Even if you've written this thing out in a Google doc or a Word doc somewhere and you say, Hey, I'm going to have a first meeting, then I'm going to do some sort of a diagnosis analysis, then I'm going to do a demo, then I'm going to do a proposal, then we're going to move to closing, then we're going to move to onboarding. And sometimes those things happen in one meeting. And then, you know, a second meeting is onboarding because it's a referral to Matt's point. If you're getting three quarters of your business from referrals, guess what happens with referrals? Condensed sales cycles, which is why referrals are awesome and which is why you should be focused more on centers of influence. One plus one equals three. If I go out and sell one center of influence on why we're a great partner and I provide value to them consistently, it's on my board right now behind me is we're looking for partners that one equals 100. Who can bring 100 clients to us if we do a good job? job partnering with them and meeting their needs. And so, you know, we don't want the, the one plus one equals two, we want one plus one equals 11 mentality. And so that's something that I think is a critical miss, not having a great sales process, not having a focus on trying to build and develop true referral partnerships that are value-based on both sides. But then also to your point, there's, there's the other side of that where people have a really well-defined sales process and then they just won't get off it. And so you've got to say like, look, people want to know numbers up front now. It's it's not ideal, but you can give them a ballpark, right? Our prices range anywhere from three bucks a check to $69 per employee per month just depends on which solution you're on. So I can't give you an exact Feel for it yet because I just don't know what's the right fit for you, but that's the range. And then they'll engage in a conversation from there and they'll understand it, right? We don't all have one product set and it's not a one size fits all. So people understand that. But at the same time, you can't just be totally coy about the whole thing and say, well, you know, oh, I just can't give you pricing until you go through my eight hour sales process.
1: And there's a way you go about that too, Matt. It's how do you explain that to the customer? Like you said, so they understand it. It's a, hey, don't worry, I'm not going to make this a laborious process to get to a numbers. I want to get it to you as quickly as possible. But in order for me to do that, I just need to understand a little bit more. Yeah. And then, and then i will make sure you have numbers, but not only numbers, you know, if you're budgeting for this, don't you want numbers we can stand behind and that are going to be concrete, or are you looking for a giant range? You know, mm-hmm. there's just. So many things you can do there to soften that approach.
0: Yeah. And on that end, I'll give my disclaimer that I give on every one of these we do on sales. And that's like, just because you're a hammer, not everything is a nail y'all. You're not doing anybody a favor by dragging somebody through a sales process when they're clearly not a good fit. And you've got, you know, Mm -hmm. you're putting, shoving them into your hope cast instead of your forecast. Like you're wasting their time and yours when you could be working with folks that are a better fit for your business and typically, you know, this up front, right? Sometimes it's technology shortcomings. People are talking about a high level, you know, the one that always gets us is like job costing. As soon as I hear the words job costing, I start really digging in because it's like, well, let's just talk about this up front because this could be a non-starter depending on what your expectations are from this. And there are those little things that you just know that aren't going to be a good fit. So dig into them upfront. We don't want to be the people who are trying to waste somebody's time. We had somebody, and I might've told this story on here before, but we had a client that came to us recently. And in about a five minute conversation, I told her, I was like, she wanted to come off of QuickBooks. She wanted to move out and outsource payroll because all the reasons you'd want to do that. But she just had these job costing needs that no matter who she went with, the way this data was mm-hmm. going to come back into QuickBooks is not going to be the way it lives in QuickBooks today. And so if you expect it to look just like that and act just like that, I mean, you know, none of the nationals are going to do it. We're not going to do it. Like it's just QuickBooks is the spot for you, unfortunately. And like, maybe you should get an outsourced bookkeeper who can do it. So it gets off your plate, but that's probably the best solution for you. And she was like, you know, golly, thank you so much. And ADP rep just dragged me through eight hours of sales meetings and diagnosis and conversations only to tell me at the end that it wasn't going to come back in the way I'd hoped. And, you know, A, that's an educational thing, probably more than anything, it's probably somebody fresh out of college who doesn't know any better what job costing even means. And then when their manager finally got involved after nine hours, they realized that, you know, we couldn't actually do what the client wanted, but do everybody a favor, save that nine hours, go work on folks that might actually be a good partner for your business instead of, you know, trying to chase down deals that just aren't a good fit.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: All right. So let's talk about that. Let's talk about the Nationals. I I didn't want to turn this into a big trash in the Nationals thing, but I think everybody... Listening for the most part, or in the locals or regionals, we're all kind of doing the same thing. We're competing head to head every day with the ADPs, the paychecks, to pay all the pays, pay comps, pay cores, pay all these new folks. But well, not new, but do you pull out of your deals from nationals today? Is that a, a big part of what you do?
1: Oh, absolutely, absolutely. I'd be lying if I said otherwise. You know, there used to be a, used to be a choice once upon a time, right? And the choice the buyer had was. We pick the big, huge national player that has all the tech bells and whistles, maybe, that we need, but maybe lacks in service. Or do we we pick the small provider that treats us like a warm hug, but maybe doesn't have the best technologies? Bridging that gap and bringing those two worlds together and really making folks understand there isn't that choice anymore, right? You can have both. You can have that warm hug from a service standpoint. People are going to care about your business. But then also have that technology that's going to match what you need it to do, not what somebody thinks you need it to do. So when we look at the competitive landscape out there, I don't think there's ever been more competition, right? Mm. Um, it's insane. It's It can be downright brutal. And and there's some things said that make me question, uh, obviously question some folks' morals out there. But there's really a, a shiny object syndrome going on out there. And what what that means is... is People are meeting with the office of HR and the the HR team, and they're dangling these shiny objects and talking fancy terms, and now we can have the ATS and the performance and the development and everything all integrated, and it's all fancy, but that comes at the sacrifice, a lot of times, of compliance, right? The good old-fashioned roots of what a payroll provider needs to do, of paying taxes in multiple jurisdictions, of getting things done on time, of bringing in things like the wage theft laws and the FFCRA and all these things that just continue to bombard our world. Um, And and I just think there's we're we're missing now with a lot of the bigger providers still don't do some of those things well because they're chasing the shiny object. Um, And it's coming at the sacrifice of the Office of Finance, right? Um, And not having, not only is it a bad idea for your process to not have somebody from finance involved in it, but you're doing a disservice if if one of those sides is going to be unhappy in the end, if HR is not happy in the end, there's a problem. If finance isn't happy in the end, there's a problem. So, I think just trying to to bridge that gap a little bit is 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 interesting, and um, you know, just hitting home on that world of compliance. So
0: mm, interesting.
1: Sorry, got off on a tangent there.
0: No, that's perfect. That's what this is all about. And um, yeah, it's funny because we've talked about this before. Of local as a value prop, how Mm. valuable is it really for me to be local? There's, there's 16,000 payroll people that process payroll. I don't want to say payroll companies, because that might be a disservice to that statistic, but there's, so there are 16,000 folks that process payroll in America companies. And and that means I always say anywhere I'm standing in the city, if I throw a baseball, I'll hit somebody that processes payroll. There's multiple payroll companies in our building. The first building we were in same thing. We're in the same building with the national and another provider. like, I mean, they're everywhere. And so what are you really doing to differentiate? And and that's, that's the thing. But what's more important is what can help you to differentiate is actually understanding what the client needs better than anyone else and what that's going to mean to their business. And so is being local, is there any real value prop to that? Well, it depends on the client, right? Do they want to be able to swing by here once a week? We've got clients that come by our office. So, you know, did, did I ever forecast any clients coming by our office? Not really. And do we have the space that uh, like where it's very impressive when they come by? Absolutely not. So, <laughs> so so we're not set up for that type of operation, but that's really important to them. And if, that, if that's what's important to them and that's what it's not going to disrupt our operations and it's not going to disrupt their operations, then wonderful. Uh, but there are others who you know, whether they were with Gusto or with us, they wouldn't be able to tell the difference and, and they'd move forward. But going back to your your point, I think you have to shift the playing field away from the Nationals. And one of the ways that we do that is we separate by saying you're either going to like them or you're going to like us. It's just very different. And then that removes the anchor of the commoditization of, Hey, you guys are just the same as them. Now we're looking at dollars and cents and saying, okay, you know, you've especially on a payroll only deal, right. Where it's we're cutting Mm -hmm. checks and paying taxes. And it's like, all right, why would I choose one over the other? Well, the experience is the difference. Right. And so do you want to get to know Olivia and Jason and Amanda and them to get to know you and to understand who you're working with and that, you know, they're going to actually care about your business or do you want to move to a queue of 18 people, which is actually what one of our clients just came on board with. They said after their company got acquired, um, which uh, bonus points for those of you out there listening, as you hear about these acquisitions in your market, that is, uh, you know, I don't want to say ambulance chasing time, but we just picked up five or six clients really easily by simply reaching out to folks that we heard that their provider got acquired and it's been a nightmare for everybody who's gone through the transition and they were quick to leave because they wanted that local. Every one of these companies to a person was like, we love the fact that they were local. Now they are not. And now we are in this 18 employee queue whenever we call in and we don't know who we're talking to. We don't know where they are. And that took the whole value prop off the table because, you know, once again, let's go back to the technology is very similar from our perspective. We you can You can do paperless onboarding, you can do time tracking, you can do payroll. Great. That's what we need, but we want to feel like we actually matter, which matters to us and is important to us and our partners. And so that's something you can offer that, that others cannot. Um, Any other thoughts on that?
1: Yeah. I mean, local, you're right. I think spot on. I'm glad you brought that up. It it does matter, but not as much as a lot of people think it matters to certain clients. So I love, you know, the the question, one of the questions I, I love, and it throws everybody off, nobody asks it, it's, it's, you know, talk about your your best professional service provider, tell, tell me about some of their qualities and, and why you love them, you know, people are like, God, I, I guess it's this, this, and this, or, you know, maybe it's one of your COIs, who knows, but I want to know who their best professional service provider is and why. And that's going to tell you some of those, those, those things right there, but it's just such a different way to enter into that conversation. And then, of course, what's the most important thing to you? And it's different to the HR person, to the controller, to the president, depending on what size organization. It's going to be different, possibly, for all those people. So finding out what's important to each one of them is, is going to be key and then i've i've lost you know again you talk about winning and taking them from the national i've certainly lost deals to them too right i mean be be lying again if i if i hadn't lost plenty of deals to them but um, when when you lose it's not a, i mean again it's people are are going to love their provider no matter how ungreat we know them to be or how you know how how great they might be and and we need to be happy for them right that that company found a partner that they can work with and that does wonders. Great, um, but when you lose, it's it's also equally as important as when you win to find out why. Mm. Why do why do we lose? Why did we, you know, why did we lose a client? What could we have done better? Right? Not not blaming uh, what that that other sales rep did great or you know they bashed us or said terrible things. It's looking in the mirror. What could you have done better? And there's always something, you know, again, being, being humble to learn that there's always something, what could you have done better to either a keep them or B not have lost them. I got the breakup call about 13 minutes before we jumped on here, Matt, from a deal I've been, I've been working for the last couple months. I got, I lost, it sucks, but you know what?
0: Let me ask you a question. Are you the go-to person in your market for payroll and HR? Are you the first face and name somebody thinks of when they think about who am I going to refer this person that needs help with their payroll and HR support? If not, you might want to look into our executive LinkedIn management service through Underdog Digital. Underdog Digital is a sponsor of this show, and they've seen results such as, I'm looking at one profile right here, where over the course of six months, they increased views by over 200%, more than 600,000 views on these posts in in less than six months. Uh, Another one, a plus 1,000% increase in eight new conversations in the first 30 days this is a tremendous service to help you to become the go-to person for uh, payroll and hr outsourcing in your market they create content for you engage with other people in your space send connection requests and do outreach to generate conversations that do nothing more than create valuable relationships with your target audience. If you're interested in learning more about underdog digital's executive LinkedIn management service, go to underdogdigital.co that's underdogdigital.co.
1: Suck it up and find out the why and then move on, you know, and, uh, you know, it's it's always surprising. You never want to. Well, I shouldn't say it's always surprising. Gut check told me I was going to lose. I just didn't know why. So now I found out why. And it's okay. Here's what they thought was better about the other one. But what's that translate into? Translates into how I could have shown those aspects or talked about them differently or hit on that button of importance for them differently, maybe in the sales process, to where maybe I would not have lost that. Right. And again, I I hope they're equally happy with that provider as they would be with us. And I I truly believe in my heart that I wouldn't be doing this if we weren't going to solve that problem and really be there to to that end solution or the end vision that they had to actually put that in place.
0: I want to dig into that a little bit because that's so critical. First of all, if you're not getting a few losses a week, a month, you're not, you don't have enough in your pipe right? Mm -hmm. And so if you're sitting here listening to this and going, man, we're just not growing fast enough. And I I don't understand why. Well, you need to be told no way more often because that's going to happen more than you're told. Yes. And so if people aren't telling, you no, and you're shy and you don't like being told no, well, then, you know, you're just not going to grow. It's not going to be part of the the game for you, but you let off that. One of your questions, your favorite question with the, the three magic words, and this is something that I share all the time, just talked about on a webinar yesterday. And that is the best way to start an open-ended question. And that is tell me about. Those are the three magic words. And so for those of you uh, spouses listening in and parents, like, tell me about magical words. Tell me about your day. Tell me about how school went. Tell me about, you know, like you can't answer that with a yes or no. So that's the magic of sales is asking good questions and getting people to open up we always say, Hey, they should be talking 80% of the time. We should be talking 20 almost never works that way. We're salespeople. We don't shut the hell up, but the um, talk to me about some of your other favorite questions that you ask in that initial interaction with a potential client to identify whether or not they're a good fit for you guys.
1: Yeah, no, that's a, that's a good thing. I mean, questions, asking the best questions means everything. It really does. And, and we do have, you know, the, uh, I like, to at the beginning, the, uh, Corporate overlords. There is a sheet. It's not a sheet necessarily of what you have to ask, but it's used as a guiding tool. So there's different components of that, right? There's rapport building questions. There's questions pertinent to the process. And then there's the questions you need to answer if you're going to be able to quote the darn thing, right? But but one of those questions that I, I've twisted ever so slightly is, you know, when you're asking, usually, oh, what keeps you up at night? don't don't ask that, you know, or what what are your pain points? Don't ask that either. Um, I ask, you know, you're you're here today for a reason. You're exploring an alternative to what you have now. Tell me what you love about your current provider. People are yeah. like, what you're supposed to be asking me what I hate about him. Why no? I want to know what you love about them, if anything, because that's a huge miss if you just solve for what they don't love. And you don't keep the stuff they love. Right. So it's 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 I, I ask that it, it it keeps it takes them off their guard, right? What do you love about your current provider? God, that's interesting. Not a damn thing. Or you know, <laughs> I, I really love that they do this and this, but now I'm gonna go down a laundry list of what I hate, you know. So I think that's just a great way to to enter in that. And then you you said it spot. Tell me well, tell me more about that. Um, and I'll just start very simple. The best way to get them to, to ask all those questions that sound like repetitive and I'm reading off a script is, you know, maybe you could just talk to me about your current payroll process, starting with how an employee tracks their time. And they're gonna spill the beans on all of it. You don't have to say a thing. Oh, like this, uh-huh, all right. What, what about that piece? What about that piece? So I like to ask stuff like that, that just really gets them down a journey of, it's just different, right? We don't need to, to win by, you know, like a marathon, you're not winning by hours you're winning by seconds. And and in this process in this game of all these competitors out there, you don't need to win by a mile. You need to win by 1%, a half a percent. What is that one little differentiator that's going to make a difference?
0: Well, you touched on something right there, very important. And that is, so how often we've all been in these very painful meetings where you ask somebody to tell you about, you know, tell me about the experience with your current provider and they say, I don't like the customer service. And then they, they give you nothing else. Right. And so they just move Mm -hmm. on and then you move on too, because you're like, Oh geez, they're giving me nothing here. Um, But so now you've got to double down and go, well, tell me about the customer service and get them to open up. If we get people to verbalize their pains themselves it's so much more compelling than us saying, oh yeah, that customer service is not great for X, Y, Z reason. And, and going back a step, I meant to mention this, don't ever bash your competition. Talk about what's different. For, for those of you out there that are spending time worrying about like, oh, you know, this company stinks or that company stinks, like just, just rise above that. It's the most, uh, it, it's such a turnoff on the buyer side. I mean, I see it from some of our, the, the sales reps that call on me and it's just, I mean, I will not do business with somebody who's gonna, especially if they're trashing somebody I'm currently working with, all of a sudden now I'm getting defensive for a group that I called them to talk about why I don't wanna work with them anymore, but that's still my <laughs> vendor today, right? So I've still got a relationship yeah. with them. We're, we're not gonna get in bed, trashing this company together because I don't know you that well yet. So, so don't go there. It's never going to work out well. Say, Hey, look, they do a lot of things really well, but here's what we do differently as an easy way to position that. Um, and going yeah, back and on with, that, just on that, on that
1: point too, of, of, of the, you no, know, not bashing them and being part of that process. Uh, it, it's just, again, yet you, you have to, you have to drill into some of those things to find out more information um, and and there's, there's landmines you can set, sure, but the, the customer service thing, um, don't pretend that you're perfect. You know, so I like to be perfectly candid, like we're coming off of an ugly year. This year end was the ugliest I've seen. You got, you know, you got the COVID piece and the people needing documentation for PPP and forgiveness and the FFCRA, and now the ERC credits that use the, I mean, everything is using the payroll information You got people being remote in some cases for the first time ever. And now you're trying to keep up on support tickets. Guess what? I don't care who you were, this year end was ugly or uglier than the last year end, right? So I think just diving into that a little more in the customer service, well, was it it just recently? Was it this year end? You know, and then I'll acknowledge, hey, we're human too. And therefore we are imperfect. So we're not always gonna be the best. We're not always gonna get you in the first hour the first phone ring, but we're going to, we're going to want to do better. Our goal is to serve you better than you're being served, but I'm not going to hide around the fact. And especially when I talk to current clients, guess what? This year end was ugly. Shame on us. Here's what we're doing to fix it.
0: So great point. And we have so many people have mentioned to me the fact that I spend a good amount of time. If I do a demo talking about what we don't do well, because I don't we don't want we've already seen the client that comes to us and then a month in is just really fussing about they can't get this report the exact way they want it. We, we could have known that on the front side had we done a better job on our side of diagnosis and then we show them so I'm showing them the imperfections of our model versus you know mm-hmm. what they might be used to and, and trying to be very upfront about that because to your point it's it's all you know, first of all, it kind of endears you to somebody I, that's not my intent, but it shows them like, hey look, we know we're not perfect. And here are some of the things that come up commonly on where we might fall short or our system falls short. They're typically system related things. And so, and for, for the love of Pete, y'all, anybody listening in that says it's a seamless transition when you come on board with us, like anytime I hear the word seamless, I want to throw up in my mouth because nothing is ever seamless. And if you lead more with, Hey, it's an implementation, it's going to have its hiccups. It's going to have its, Somebody on our side is going to drop the ball. Somebody on your side is going to drop the ball. It's not going to go exactly according to plan, but that's what the implementations are. And here's what we do to make our implementations easier than what you might be used to. And so don't go in with this seamless implementation nonsense. I, I've, I've heard that a million times in my career, and it's just such a, you, you immediately lose credibility because anybody who's ever implemented anything knows that is never the case. and never will be the case. And so you know, there's some psychology behind that, right? Setting expectations a little bit lower so that you can exceed them. And then, therefore, like, hey, <laughs> yeah. you know, your implementation process is actually really strong when you lead with that and then you exceed and excel. Like, we actually spend a lot of time trying to constantly improve our client onboarding process, and we've got a pretty good process. But would I ever call it seamless? Absolutely not. There's still tons of room for improvement and all those things I said are true, but typically folks will then look back at the end and go, well, dang, like that was actually pretty easy because they were prepared for the worst, right? Like things can go sideways and it might take longer than we hope and it could get, this could go wrong and that could go wrong. So definitely a way to keep your credibility at the very least, because as soon as you start saying seamless, they're probably tuning out and you've lost a little bit of credibility.
1: Absolutely.
0: before we hang up here, let's talk about those losses and some things you've learned from losses over the years that, that maybe have altered your behavior, or altered how you format your, your process of working with potential clients now. What are some of the things you have learned from deals that you've lost?
1: Yeah, I mean, again, it's, it's, you got to go that extra step and get that. I mean, now that they've chosen somebody else, getting their time is even more difficult. Mm-hmm. Right? Uh, and how are they telling you? Is it a quick, yeah, sorry, like I got one last week. It said, yeah, sorry, you know, I've been busy, haven't got back to you. We went with so-and-so, thanks for all your time. Well, shit, what does that tell me? <laughs> not, yep. not a whole lot. So now I have to chase that CFO again because, I mean, I want to know, do they owe me that? Kind of. I think there's a little bit of me that feels they, I've spent this time trying to help them. They owe me at least five minutes of their time to cap that off. What's the why? And things on, on price, I'll lose a deal on price all day long. I don't, that's great. Sorry, we should have. Maybe we should have talked about price before the demo. You know, we got that out of the way, right? But yeah, I've I've learned so much, and it's it's mainly been uh, you know inward reflecting. Honestly, it's that's been the most humbling part, or maybe the hardest part at sometimes to grasp too. Is well, you lost because of this. Well, guess what? I know darn well if I'd have done this, this, or this differently in the process, that wouldn't have been the reason, right? I know that if I had gotten six, seven, eight hours of sleep the night before, it wouldn't have been the reason. I know that if I had taken the time to put 15 more minutes of prep into that darn thing before I did it, I wouldn't have lost. I think that's the biggest part in realizing that it's not about what someone else does or how they interpret things. It's all about you. How could you have done it differently? And so I think that's been the biggest eye-opener or the hardest thing at times, too, to grasp, you know, is like, man, I had a shot. It was great, but I missed. Where did I miss? You know, on this last one, you know, I'll give you you a good example. The last one I got, it was the solution seemed, I hate this one, but, you know, you get it. The solution seemed uh, easier to you, more user-friendly, both on the employee self-service side and on the admin side. What's that mean? Does it mean that that solution really wasn't very deep and just was really shiny on the onset? You can't do a whole lot, maybe. Or does it mean that you went too complex in the demonstration and you went too deep when you could have just glazed over the surface, right? So diving into that, the other thing they said, the reporting seemed easier to use. I happen to know the reporting and the solution is some of the best dang reporting I've ever used. So how do I show that differently then? next time to where it doesn't maybe appear as complex. Maybe I don't go build a custom report, you know, I don't know. So I think that's the biggest thing I've learned is that it's on you. It's not on anybody else that you lost. It's on you. So own it, tuck your tail and move on.
0: That's great. And I'd be curious anybody listening in right now, as you're talking about, I have so many thoughts going through my mind about demos. If anybody be interested in hearing a session on just demos, I, I feel like we could talk easily for an hour on best practices on demos. But so I don't want to dive into that rabbit hole right now because it's so deep. But I had a recent loss too. I, I think that might be helpful to some folks because it kind of goes back to something we were talking about earlier where somebody reached out and said, Oh, we're going with the other provider. I called her. I said, You know, do you mind sharing with me why? And, and she said, Well, he's did more than just send me an email with a quote attached to it and tell me you know, why they were great in the body of an email after a 20 minute phone call. And you could tell by the way she was saying that and what I did in reality was I totally commoditized that thing. We were at a point, we didn't have anybody else on the sales team at the time. And so the all the inbound stuff was coming to my plate. So everything inbound, I'm just going, yeah, that sounds great. We've got an amazing solution. Here's all the reasons why we're so wonderful. I'm trying to condense First meeting analysis, no demo, not even get, you know, here's a demo video in the body of an email. Here's a link to our pricing. I'm not even, she's like, you know, you didn't even calculate what the average monthly cost would be for me. I had to go through and figure it out myself and granted our pricing is super simple. So that was my mindset. But at the same time I realized like, Oh, Hey, first and foremost, something that, that we talked about early on, like you're not going to one call close anybody who's not a referral. I just think that's a pretty good rule of thumb. There there might be an outlier here and there, but it is an anomaly at best. So getting time with people, whether it's virtually or in person, building the relationship, the rapport is part of the sales process. All things being equal, people do business with people they like. All things being unequal, people do business with people they like. You cannot garner and create a relationship in a 20 minute phone conversation and sending over a quote. So shame on me on that one. Definitely good learning opportunity. And, you know, also got to get out of the mindset of like, Hey, look, it's only a X number of employee, you know, deal. And so I'll just fire them over a quote and pray for the best. And if we lose it, we lose it. Whereas in reality, another hour's worth of work and we probably would have had a client for the next seven years. And so that's something where you got to be careful not to cut corners on the sales process while you're trying to smash the easy button, you also still have to make sure that you're taking into account the human and emotional elements of a sales process and the things that occur in more time spent with an individual. So definitely one that, that stung a little and has changed my uh, process over <laughs> the last few months. Uh, Cause I got into, you know, I, I know better than that sort of a thing, but it was like, a, yeah. a, you know, we became the commodity that we tried not to become incidentally. So
1: And the other thing is when you have somebody that you get a lead or you get somebody that has a question that's already on that buyer's journey, you know, the saying goes, and I forget who it's from, but the individual or the organization that responds the fastest with the most complete information wins something like 80% of the time. So 80% of your, it's showing up and being prompt and getting them the information more quickly so they can make a good decision. That right there is tough. When you're doing the volume that, we're, you know, each of our teammates are doing, you know, three, four hundred deals a year. I mean, it is intense. Wow. It's busy, but I wouldn't have it any other way. It's what drives me, what motivates me to be better. But you need to be the fastest, but not the fastest answer one of their three questions. It's the fastest answer at all or, right. or you're not doing any good there.
0: All right. Well, I'm going to leave on that because that's the proverbial mic drop right there, right? So if you are have these limiting beliefs about what you can or cannot produce in a year, Matt just said doing three to 400 deals a year. That is an absurd, like he opened my mind to new levels when we talk about that level of volume and what we can and can't do. And so, and going back to some of your thoughts earlier about, I call it just sort of that limiting mindset of, Oh, Hey, I lose this deal. And that's the only thing in my pipe. Like you have to have a mindset of abundance to do this. You have to understand that there's going to be tons of no's, but the yes is there's so many small businesses out there for all of us to partner with and serve and provide value to. And I think that's been one of the coolest things as we've gotten to this journey over the last seven years, just learning like, great folks like you who are willing to share your time with a guy like me and, you know, people all over the country that are willing to share their best practices and time with each other to help each other, to get better and to help each other, to improve and to help each other, to really serve. And once again, provide value to the small businesses and hopefully the best folks win and continue to find opportunities to create that value. But I know that we're all better off for having been a part of this conversation, Matt. So I appreciate your time so much.
1: No, I appreciate your time, Matt, and the ABV of always being valuable and sharing these podcasts with the greater population. So I know I get a huge benefit from listening. So uh, it's it's a privilege to be here.
0: If you enjoyed that episode, please share it with someone else you know who might enjoy it and learn from this. And also please rate us five stars on your favorite podcast player. We really appreciate you taking the time to listen and also don't hesitate to reach out with other topics you'd like to hear more about. Thanks so much.